Club 400 podcast is on the air, and we are a podcast. I want to let everybody know we are a timeless podcast, so you can listen to us at any point in time, any one of our episodes, and learn something about your Chicago Cubs. We are about the fans. We are about the community. We are about the players of the Chicago Cubs. I got my main guy, John, the sound man over there, the what super up? producer. I'm a soup, not just a producer. Super producer. A super producer. And my main man who brought me into the podcast business, William Guerin. William, what's up? Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's good to be here. <laughs> it's good to be here as it is it's every funny. night. It's funny how you call him William. I've only ever called him Bill. And it's like everybody calls him William or Sir William or whatever. Yeah, different I, names. I don't know. You know I call you Bill people, ever since names. I've known you. So, William. Yes, sir. Let's talk about, first of all, what Club 400 is, okay? Club 400 was a lifelong passion project. It was a dream for me. I basically wanted to uh, build the best place to watch Chicago Cubs baseball besides Wrigley Field. So if you haven't heard about it, it was, a, like I said, a four-year-long project that I put my heart and soul into, and I built a place where my friends and family could gather to watch games. And if you don't know what he's talking about, Google Club 400. You can Google it anywhere. Put Cubs Man Cave in. You can check out our website, www.club400cubs.com. You can check out our website. But little did I know. Was part of the dream of podcast? Never. I never even knew what podcasting was, to be honest with you. So um, we built this place. I brought my friends in. I showed it to people. And I, had my, I, I finished it for my 40th birthday. And then... Um, People came in. They said, Stu, you got something special here. You have something unbelievable. So it kind of resonated with me. And I always say that good things in life aren't planned. Good things evolve into what they are. Club 400 evolved into basically Cub fans helping Cub fans. We have raised $350,000 out of my basement since 2014 and we only had one event in 2014. That was Tom Ricketts came out here, and we raised money for my good friend Nick Sheridan. And what an unbelievable ride it's been. We've had many events out here. We've had t over 28 players here. And also, I I'm just including guys that have hit the field. Not, 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 not the Cubs celebrities like Tom Ricketts and John Vincent and Wayne Mesra and, or any of those guys. And um, so we decided, you know what, let's do a podcast. And the great thing about our podcast, it's about you guys. It's about the fans. And we have a unique opportunity to interview players here at our events. So we have a great mixture of everything. And William, tell, tell me how you got involved at Club 400. Do you want the actual story or should I make one up? That Well, you just give me <laughs> the actual. I was a stalker. I was in 2016. I was watching the Cubs win the World Series, and I couldn't get enough Cubs on the TV, so I was on my computer. I ran into a video about this place, and then I heard it's in Lake in the Hills, and I'm like, what? Which is right by where I live. So I started watching more and more videos. I was looking for somebody I recognized in the crowd. There he was, Big Jimmy from Modern Day Romeo's. I Which is a local Chicago party band, and they are the best at what they do. Yes, they are. And I give Jimmy a call, and I said, Jimmy, do you know the guy from Lake in the Hills that has the man cave? And he said, Stu? Yeah, he's a good friend. You want to go there? I'm like, what? It happened that quick? 
three days later, I came here, and look at us now. We the rest is history. We have a studio. <laughs> I'm looking at a, a screen with the Cubs game on. I'm looking at an autographed picture of Rizzo, another one of Russell. It's surreal. So William mm-hmm. said, Stu, let's do a podcast. And I said, you know what, William? There's so many Cubs podcasts out there. <laughs> yeah, it took a year for him to convince me to do it. But to I called him up down. and I said, William, I'll do it. I'm only going to do it under these terms. I, since we're all about the fans, let's do it about the Cubs fans and the Cubs community. And I want almost like documentary radio. I want to make a documentary of all the Cub fans. So I had this, I have this dream, you guys. I have this dream. I drive to Wrigley Field in my car, and I take 90 to Irving Park Road, and I turn down Clark, and I go into my parking space, and I know that parking guy because I interviewed him on Club 400 Radio. I park my car, and I start walking in the field. And, oh, well, there's Danny Rackett. We interviewed him. Well, that's a great story. And then I go into Wrigley Field, and I interview the, the ticket taker because he's worked at Wrigley Field for 40 years. And then I go in there, and I see a beer guy. We, we'll interview him. He's worked there for 40 years also. And then I go upstairs, and I see the, um, the security guys. Well, mm-hmm. we inter- that, in, interviewed the security people. I want to interview everybody outside the lines of the baseball game. I want to interview anybody, because the Cub fans are the greatest people out there. No doubt about it. They are the best fans around. It's different than anything else. If you aren't a Cubs fan, you should embrace it and try to figure out what it's all about, because it's different than any other. It, is, um, it yeah. really is. Like Danny Rockets said on his show, I forgot what it was. It was basically said, like, if you're not a Cubs fan, you just don't understand. You don't get you don't baseball. Get it. So this show is all about the fans and the community of the Chicago Cubs. This show is about our history, our short history, about what we're all about. I want you guys to tune in, listen to all the great things we have brought to you, and we're just getting started, man. So uh, I got to ask you a question as we tee this show up. Yep. Of all the Cub fans I've ever met, and we've never had this conversation, of all the Cub fans I've ever met, None is bigger than you. You are the biggest single Cub fan I've ever met, which is great that this show is about people that not measure up to you, but like are in the same kind of kind of boat as you. You've had all these events, all these great things happen because of Club 400. What is the thing, one single thing that was most surreal? Because there's been so many surreal things like i was at your last party i was up on stage with free jenkins uh gary matthews bob dernier randy hunley and ray burris going what am i doing here <laughs> this is i was behind the camera and i'm like what are you sur- doing bill this is surreal this is know? amazing <laughs> like, this doesn't happen to joe cub fan first of all to start to answer your question is is like i am not the greatest Cub fan out there. The fact is, is that you're I have, pretty damn. Close. I have met so many good Cub fans in my life that little did I know. Like I said, I just never know this was going to evolve into what it evolved in. But I'm a, the lucky. I, I'll tell you what. I am the luckiest Cub fan. That's for go. sure. I am the luckiest Cub fan. Mm. But I want to re- represent all the fans out there, and I want them to tell us their story because our thing is everybody has a story we want to hear yours on the club 400 radio to answer your second part of your question is when tom ricketts brought the world series trophy out here and it was in my house that was the most real moment now let me tell you something 
we did it for a, a boy out in Marengo who uh, had a heart transplant. We raised over $33,000 for him in a, for a three-hour party. I didn't think nothing of it. I'm so busy getting ready for the parties. But when the World Series trophy was brought down here by Julius and Tom Ricketts showed up, and they put it in my basement. I think, oh my gosh, of all the Cub fans in the world, I got the World Series trophy at my house. I got the owner who brought us the, the World Series trophy. I'll tell you what, I am so thankful to this day. <coughs> William, as you know, Club 400 is a family. It really is. And, and the, it's a lifestyle. You keep moving the needle away from you, but you know what? Club 400 is a lifestyle for people. It's a lifestyle for you. It's kind of taken over a big portion of your life in a good way. You know, right. all the fundraising, all this other stuff. Um, you'll never hear this from Stu, but he gets asked a million times a day to donate this to this event or do this for charity or that kind of thing. And, you know, you respond positively to every single thing that you absolutely can. And uh, it's it's a little awe-inspiring. I mean, my most surreal moment, that's right up there, the World Series trophy. But I think it was meeting you once I got to know you and know, like, the passion that burns and your family, of course, and hearing stories about when you guys were kids and all the stuff your mom brought you into this whole thing and all that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's awesome. Well, I, I couldn't have done it without my family. I couldn't have done it without my friends. And I definitely couldn't have done it without my wife. Because when you're talking about having over 300 people at your house multiple times a year, it's unbelievable. But, uh, and I, I just want to emphasize one more thing about the family part of it. I mean, you truly do feel like you're in a family if you're part of this, whether you're here at parties or you're on the Facebook page. I mean, I'm friends with people in Oklahoma. Yeah, you know, right. and and then got to meet him, you know, after being on Facebook with him for a couple of years and stuff like that. So it truly is a family. And I got to tell you, the Club 400 family helped me get through some of my darkest days. So, I mean, you know, it's unbelievable. Well, it's on what I want the listeners to know on this podcast, and we're going to get right now to our greatest clips is my first passion project was this. I think at the end of the day, my greatest passion project is this podcast, because like. I'm, I'm trying with you guys to build an encyclopedia of all the fans and what their stories are. And I think at the end of the day, maybe we'll be known for our $1 million that we're eventually going to raise. Yeah. But I really believe that it'll be this podcast and the stories that will be timeless, that will be brought through on generations to come. So please enjoy this podcast of so far our greatest hits. Please follow us on Podbean. Please give us positive reviews on Apple iTunes. And if you're a Cub fan, I believe this podcast is for you. The show kicked off last August with Stu and William. From this introduction came many interviews with the who's who of the Cubs community. From Hall of Famers to your average ball hawk, the boys have encountered them all. Here's where it all began. This is for you, Eric. As the great Pat Hughes would say, Club 400 is on the air. 
Well done. Well done. Well, you know, Pat's one of my favorites, and uh, Harry Carey actually is my favorite of all time, but... And Eric McVicker's one of my favorites, so... We gotta get him in here. Well, Bill, what do you think? This is the first episode of something we talked about for over a year. Over a year now, yes. Club 400 Radio, and first and foremost, I'd like to welcome you to the airwaves. As yeah. a regular. I am a rookie. You're a regular guy now. I, you uh, get a key, we'll get you a pass to the bathroom, all that. You're well, good to go. I am a rookie because when I got here today, I walked through the wrong door... <laughs> And I walked into, like, a kid's party. And yeah, I, that wasn't... I thought Bill was throwing me, like, a party at first. So like, With little kids. Yeah. yeah that. <laughs> I saw no Bud Light around, so I knew there definitely was no party when I saw the kids. That could not be. So let's talk, about, uh, let's talk about what got us here from, you know, a year ago. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, well, where do we start? This is kind of like me and Bill talked about it. This is kind of our intro show. And this show is basically going to be about you guys, the fans, and not only the fans, but the community of Chicago Cubs baseball. Of all the well-known fans in baseball, there is one particular Cubs fan that is known for his flamboyant choice of headwear. Stu and William caught up with the famous batter's eye fan, Jim Annixter, or as most know him as, the pink hat guy. So the most obvious question, some people don't know this question, but what's with the pink hat? So... Okay, it all started in 1990. The All-Star Game was at Wrigley Field. Whoever went the day before, Ryan Sandberg won the home run. They passed out a pink hat. So I wore a pink hat and a green shirt so my wife can see. I'm really at the ballpark. I'm an honest guy. I'm not fooling around. Turn on the TV. And a number of years later, my cousin, uh, Jeff Annenberg, said, why don't you make, a, make up a pink hat? And I made up a pink hat, and a patent attorney, Joel Siegel, trademarked it. So I, I made a pink hat, and a back and pink hat guy. Now it says, go Cubs. And I didn't realize I was going to be an instant celebrity and, and all the notoriety. So what I've been doing with the hat to try and pay back to the community. Anybody that wants one, I'll give them to them free around the country, which we get requests. If they make a minimum donation of 25 hours or more, the American Cancer Society or Cancer Charity, charity of choice, like pancreatic cancer or breast cancer or something like that, because my brother died of cancer, and I lost my tennis partner, pancreatic cancer. Uh, we lost several friends to breast cancer, so I'm trying to pay back in my own way. And the American Cancer, they call me, you're doing a wonderful thing. I said, what do you mean? I'm making a few bucks here, and that's not that. You're making people aware of how bad cancer is in a pleasant way. That's awesome. So, I didn't realize that. So if our listeners wanted to get a pink hat, what would be the uh, quickest, easiest way to do that? I know they have just, to... Just email me, small j, Annixter, A-N-I-X-T-E-R, all small letters, the ad sign, small a, dash, Z Industries, one word, Z Industries, dot com. I have a young girl that I call this girl, her name is Nancy. She's the pink hat girl. She takes care of these things for me. Uh-huh. And I've, I move a few hundred hats a year, and it's fine, you know. And you know, I'm glad I'm able to help out. That the, Some of the emails I get from these people are really sad. My mother died of cancer. Could you send me a pink hat or something like this? I, I get a lot of this stuff, and it's... Uh, I feel good about that, trying to help people. And uh, now you always uh, wear a green shirt as well. Is, uh, I wear a green shirt or a green sweatshirt, depending on the weather, because sometimes it's very cold. and something, But with the green, because I wear the green so my, my wife could see me, but the ivy on, the, on Wrigley Field when the weather's nice is green, so I figure I'll match the ivy. <laughs> there you go. You could, you could blend in like Andre Dawson in that commercial. When they, well, you know, when they pull them I've out. already done one commercial. You ever heard of a, a, a mustard called Golden's Mustard? Yeah. yeah. I, 
Yeah, I was the mustard hat guy at Wrigley Field. They paid me a nominal sum of money. They asked me if I would be the mustard hat guy. I said, sure. My daughter, actually, they called my daughter up. It was friendly with someone that works for ConAgra. Would your father like to be the mustard hat guy? Well, he's an egomaniac. He had to do it. So I did it. I did rehearsals. And after the first pitch, I put on the Golden's mustard hat. And I had to put on a yellow shirt. And they asked me to please stay the whole game and hold up a little sign, a little, a little bottle that said Golden's mustard. So I was the mustard hat guy for one day. And you, and you can muster people's hot dogs. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, had to, I, I had to eat three hot dogs when I were, during the course of the game to make, you know, to make it viable, you know, that kind of thing, which was fine. So but, uh, you've been married 48 years. Has, it's going to be 48 years December 20th. Is, is that the blonde lady? Blonde, is that your wife, the blonde, next year, or is that someone else? No, no, no well, my wife's not blonde. She's dark-haired and everything. Okay. One time there was a blonde lady sitting next to me. That was my daughter. People, somebody said, does your wife know who's in your mind? It's my daughter. Okay. <laughs> now, has she ever questioned your, your whereabouts since you started wearing the pink hat? Never. I, I, I can tell people. Uh, there's, this is a sad commentary. I know 50 young people, what I mean by young, in their late 20s to their early 50s have gone going through divorces with two or more kids. I find it disturbing. And I have a very good marriage. I have a wonderful wife. And I can look someone straight in the eye and say, in all the years I've been married, I've never cheated on my wife, period, end of discussion. You're either married or you're not married. That doesn't mean I don't. I always tell people, I look at the menu, I don't order. <laughs> you're loyal, and that's part of being a Cub fan, so that makes right. sense, you know? Yes. Chicago sports radio is iconic and world-renowned. From the famous calls of Brickhouse to the quick-witted Bernstein and Boers all contribute to the peculiar taste of the Chicago sports fan. Stu and William got to chat with one of the founding fathers of modern sports talk, Mike North. Take a listen. Bryant's had issues. Rizzo and Bryant don't hit together. You see Marcakis and Freeman for Atlanta. Every day I watch them, two for four, three for four. Every, both of them. Matthews and Aaron, three and four, used to hit every day. Manuel and Maris used to hit every day. Bryant and Rizzo, when they're together, they don't hit together. So that's why I think they split them in nine. But now you got Bryant hurting a little bit. So hopefully he'll be able to come back because I don't think David Bodie is the, is the it's a long-term plan. Right. I think, you know. Enjoy that moment, but you know, I think David, it was a huge moment. Yeah, though. it was unbelievable. Theo just said that uh, he got more texts after that hit than he did it after some World Series victories. You know, so. Theo says I, I I was playing the situation in my mind, and every time I replayed it. I did what I usually do. Uh, you know, I hit a ground ball. I didn't know Theo played uh, in the major leagues. Was Theo? But Theo must have, uh, or in the little league, he must have done that. But right. he's right. That's what you expect to strike out. You expect a ground ball, and, and instead he hit that home run off a pretty tough pitch too. Yeah. So you've had uh, quite a distinguished career in yeah. Chicago sports. Who have been some of the the characters that you've met with? And well, the great to? guys. I mean, great guys. Jeremy Roenick was one of the greatest guys I've ever met. Jeremy Roenick was a guy that uh, I had a hot dog eating contest out at uh, Maywood Racetrack, and Jeremy Roenick agreed to be a judge. And I did my show from out there for the score back in the day. And the night before, Jeremy Roenick broke his leg playing for the Hawks. Mm. So I, you know, the next day I'm going to be, well, we're going to go out there and get a lot of hot dog stands. It was on the thoroughfare of the place. It was called Top Dog. Uh, and it was brought to us by the score. This one we used to do all sorts of crazy things. And I hear a, motor, a motorcycle comes driving up, and it's Jeremy Roenick with his leg in a cast. Oh he showed God. up the on day after on the motorcycle, <laughs> leg up, driving. 
the day after breaking his leg to fulfill a commitment that he made to me. There's nothing I'm writing. So he's one of the guys. Chris Zorch was another guy that was a heck of a character. Didn't mind being criticized. Uh, we also, I, I raced him in a 40-yard dash on Cicero really? Avenue. He blew me away. The first three <laughs> stops of a defensive lineman are unbelievable. Michael Jordan, a great character. Rodman's the wildest character I ever hung out with. I would hang with him at Gibson's. Just so many different memories. I was very honored and very... Uh, to be doing it for a long, long time and to get to know these guys. Walter Payton was my buddy. Um, he was a jokester himself, except he didn't like when you pulled jokes on him. No. Mm-hmm. Like he would get, you know, one day we, he, he had his car parked in a lot in Schaumburg. We were doing a show, the show uh, from Vinny's in Schaumburg. It was an Italian restaurant. I don't know if it's still there. And my buddy took his license plates off, WP34. And he just walked walked by while we were on the air. And Walter goes, hey, what are you doing with my license plates right while we're on the air? <laughs> so he didn't like when he played jokes on him. And there was another time where Walter and I and Jiggets, Dan Jiggets, hosted the score golf outing. And I had six of my buddies come in a white van and open the van. Two stepped out in Sayers jerseys. Two stepped out in Emmett Smith's jerseys. And two stepped up out in Barry Sanders jerseys. No Peyton jerseys. He was hot. He didn't talk to me for three hours. <laughs> so that's just some of the fun you have. You know, you get to know these guys. They're just like everybody else. They really are like Schwarber. Schwarber was like everybody else. He wanted to stay at your place, right? Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. How about Harry Carey? Any great stories about him? Great. Carey yeah. Carey goes, hey, I, 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 I tell you, you know, you're just like me. You're a high school dropout, I write. I go, yes. I go, you were a high school dropout. I, I, I used to sleep overnight in the church. I was an orphan. I go, get out of here. He goes, no, you and I, I like you. Yeah. He did my show twice uh, on CBS, Hollywood Casino. He loved BB, loved me. We had a great time. He liked the fact that I didn't uh, sugarcoat anything because he sure as hell didn't sugarcoat anything, which yeah. is hard to do in a broadcast. He was a character. There's no characters. When you think characters now in radio or TV or in sports radio or sports TV, I mean, who's a character on national TV now? Nobody. I mean, uh, A-Rod? I mean, uh, yeah, right. you know, Jessica Mendoza? I mean, uh, this is the people, Joe Buck? I mean, they're all like cardboard cutouts, and I, I, I there's no, there's no place for me. <laughs> there are hundreds of friends at Club 400, and one of the closest to the club and of Stews is Crawley. He is an avid game and event attender, as well as a consistent supporter of the Club 400 cause. And he spoke with Stu and William on the inside tips to Cubs convention. Well, back to the Cubs convention. I want to talk about it a little bit. Um... Like if you have you ever been to the Cubs convention, Crawley? What do you need to know? Well, first things first. Do not come late. I know opening ceremony starts around five thirty, six o'clock. But if you, what happens is it fills. Dude, he's up. a genius. I was going to say that. Don't do not get there early Friday, right? Do not do. If you get there at five thirty six, what ends up happening is that the fire marshals, especially because the Sheridan is not very big, uh, doesn't have a lot of space. The fire marshals stop people from going up at a certain point in time. So my guess is if you're not there by like 3.30, you're rolling the dice on whether you're going to get upstairs to get into opening ceremonies. And opening ceremonies is always a blast to get into. So you want to make sure you get there early. Um, downstairs is where you're going to pick up your stuff. Now, if you, uh, I, if you ordered the hotel package, you have to go up there and you'll get everything that you need, which will be your lanyard, you'll get your um, calendar, you'll get a program of all the events. And then if the scratch off wild card ticket, the pull tab ticket, which the pull tab, yeah. a lot of people get really excited about. But, you know, it's uh, 
when people think of autographs, CubsCon is not the greatest place to get autographs. The lines are massive. So, I mean, it, it all depends on what you're there to do. If you're, well, I always say, I don't know to cut you, cut you off, but like, part you said, get there early. That was what I was going to say. The second thing I was going to, what do what do you want to accomplish? Right, pick a lane because. You could spend all damn weekend in line to get autographs, right, Carly? Right, and that's where the pull tab is so key because that's a guarantee autograph from one of the current players or one of the you know the greats, whether it's Andre or Rhino or whoever. Um, if you're sitting in line all day, I mean, you don't even know who you're going to get by the time you get up to the line, mm. whereas the pull tab's a guaranteed ticket. <laughs> so once you get that, you know, what, or if you got your tickets by the mail, they have to stamp it. So you have to go down there, you have to get it stamped, it's, they use one of those hole puncher type things, and then they give you everything that you need. You'll get your program, and what you want to do when you get your program, game plan. What do I want to do? Do I want to get autographs? Well, then make sure you're up early in the morning and downstairs waiting in line because the lines start forming real early. Now, do you want to go to the sessions? Which are the best sessions? Sometimes there's going to be sessions that are at the same time. Are you a season ticket holder? If you're a season ticket holder, they have another hotel across the street from the Sheridan where, honestly, some of the best sessions occur because it's at a smaller, kind of a closer feel. It's not these huge rooms that they have in the Sheridan. So but you have to have a, a certain season ticket holder. You had to buy it through the season ticket holder link, basically. Okay. Correct, and you'll get a special bracelet, which will right. kind of help you go into that. But if you do you want to go into the sessions? And honestly, I know some people that just kind of go to just drink and have fun right. and just kind of meet up with people. So it all depends on what do you want to do as a Cub fan going there. But I can tell you that going there all these years, I've made – Groups of friends that I only see one day a year or yeah. one weekend of the year, and that's at CubsCon because a lot of them live in maybe Iowa because they're big Iowa Cub fans or wherever. But it's such a, a fun time, and you do get to meet a lot of great people. Now, once the opening ceremony starts, everybody comes out. It's a blast. It's a lot of fun. But then something they added in the last few years that you do not want to miss is the Ryan Dempster show. Yes, yeah. The late night with Ryan Dempster. Late night with Ryan Dempster, where he kind of does a Jimmy Fallon-esque kind of show, and he has the different Cubs coming out. But over the years, there has just been so many funny things that have come out of that, whether it's um, you know Theo and Jed playing like this weird game where they put things in their mouths and try to talk, or right, you know, these this is they, awesome. They no, just, Dempster's awesome, but you know, whatever he does is awesome. Right, and so that, that's really your Friday, and, and a lot I know a lot of people like to go to Woody's Roundup. Um, but for those of us that now you know what happened, Crowley. There, like the Woody's, uh, Woody's. You know, used to ha they have their event they're having this year, which I will be at. I always go to every single one of them. But what happened was was one, one the Ryan Dempster thing kind of messed their uh, mm. the startup of their event over a little bit because all the players wanted to see. They all love Dempster. Everybody loves Dempster. They all want to see him. You know what he's going to do. So the players were getting there a lot later after the event, after the, okay. the the show ended over there at the Sheridan. Then the Cub players would come rolling in, but the event would be going on for two hours, and finally the Cubs are strolling in. So this year they even knocked the Kerry Wood event back an hour. It's the latest it's ever started, nine o'clock start this year, uh, which is a good, which is an awesome time too. But another thing, Crowley, I wanted to talk to you about is the Friday night is a big night for the bloggers and stuff like that. Yeah, there. You know, a lot of us that kind of sit there blogging, tweeting, social media presence. Um, it's kind of our day to just kind of just say, hey, you know, what a, what a fun year we had, and it's good to see you guys. And and that's Kitty O'Shea's. So a lot of us, Kitty O'Shea's is a bar right next door to the Sheridan, and we just kind of go there for drinks and have some fun. So if you're interested in kind of seeing some of your favorite, it's a great bar. It's a classic old Chicago bar. They got karaoke on Saturday night there, by the way, which is nice. awesome. But the cool thing is, is if you're in the Sheridan, if you go all the way to the bottom floor, 
and then walk out the door on the water side and make a left. It'll, it'll walk. I mean, it's basically in the hotel. It's not, but it right sh- could be. Yeah, yeah, it's right there. You could walk out without a jacket and not get cold just walking right across there. And it's not a bad little place either to sneak over and get lunch one day. You know, I mean, it's so close and you can get out of the crowd a little bit. It's not. A, it's, it's, a, it's a it's a nice and it's a party place both Friday and Saturday night. And, and that's something when you talk about the food and, and the cost and stuff like that, people kind of need to plan for that. Like for me, I always kind of have a plan of what I'm going to eat and when I'm going to eat it. So I always bring breakfast with me. I don't do the, you know, the breakfast at the hotel is expensive. It just depends how you want to spend your money. The other thing, and I was one of the guys that started this was the rolling cooler. So when I go to CubsCon, I have a rolling cooler with all my beers in there so that you're not paying 10 to $12 for a beer because the beers are the same price as they are at Wrigley yeah. Field. So a can of beer is like 10 bucks. I'm not so going like. to be drinking that. So I, I keep that and I keep a flask of booze just in case they one day confiscate my cooler, but it's been like 18, 20 years. So. <laughs> You're good so far. <laughs> I've been safe so far. A rolling cooler is important, Carl. We do it every year. We pack it up full of beer and we get down the opening ceremonies and then we're packed and they're like sardines and drink, you know, drink the beers for, for you know, you, you got to get there early. You have to get in the opening ceremonies early. Like Carly was saying, you have to get else you'll be locked out but there are fans and then there are super fans Wrigleyville is not short of these obsessive fanatics who bring unique tastes and quirks to the Cubs culture and sometimes they even popularize their own catchphrases here is Stu and William with the one and only Ronnie Woo Woo yeah, and you know You're what? Right. I mean, when when, I, when I've gone to Wrigley Field, you know, I, I am forty five years old, okay, and like I, my first Cub game when I was eight, and my earliest memory of going to a Cubs game was running into Ronnie Woo Woo. I mean, so you've been around there forever. You've been a big fixture at Wrigley Field. Uh, you've been the unofficial mascot of the Chicago Cubs. Hell, you got movies made about you, books written about you. You got your own bobblehead. Have uh, you kind of done it all, Ronnie? And uh, and just for your love and passion for the Chicago Cubs, what you've been able to do with that and make so many people happy and smile is amazing. And for all the people out there who, you know, you know, Ronnie, whenever you're like somebody, you know, you're going to have your haters and stuff like that. But if you don't, if you don't like Ronnie, Woo, well, I don't think you're a Cubs fan, period. You know, if you got to really get to know Ronnie, Ronnie's got a, a good heart. Every time I see him, he's happy, he's smiling, and he's also always positive. And yeah, Ronnie, you know, you've, you have ups and downs in your life, but you've always remained positive. Uh, tell me about how you've been able to do that. I mean, obviously you were homeless at one time. Uh, you, you battled out of that and you just, you've had a lot of, like I said, hills and valleys, but you've always seemed to have a smile on your face. Well, you know, my, my grandma's part playing to me, no matter what you do in life, no matter what happened in life, it won't be like that always. It's all the brighter, brighter day of time. So when I come out to really feel and see the sun, sunshine, it's just, it's a bright day, you know? So what I'm going through, well, I just thank God that I've, uh, I have a, a ball club that I can cheer for and what's going on in my life. And I always look back and smile and thank God for what a beautiful day this is here. And it's really wonderful that I could uh, come to that, though. And ball, baseball done a lot for me, you know. And with God's spirit, with the spirit of God and thinking good thoughts and knowing that whatever you're going through in life, it won't be like it always it's gonna be. It's, it's gonna change. You go through for a moment or so, a year or whatever it may be, but then with faith in God, and then you, you have somebody you can cheer for the Cubs, just like that. It's just a wonderful feeling that you know that you can 
you can come to God, and then you can come out to beautiful Riggerfield, enjoy the sunshine, nature itself, and the vines. It, it is beautiful. So what people, people say something about you, good or bad, at least you know they're thinking about you. So you don't worry about this. Stay part of this and yeah. just think good thoughts. You can't worry about the haters. And uh, I want to ask you, since you've been around forever, you know, Wrigley Fields obviously went uh, undergone a lot of changes in the last five uh, five years and, you know, the next three also. But what do you, uh, what do you think of the new, new Wrigleyville? Do you like it? Well, it's just like, you know, it's just like the 30s had the 30s, the 40s had the 40s, the 50 had the 50, 60 had the 60, the 70, 80s, 90 had the 2000, 210. You know, everything changes. But uh, Wrigley is still Wrigley Field, you know. One thing about me, they can't trade me and they can't fire me. You know, so I'm a, <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a Cub fan, you know, and for life, you know. I was here way before some people come on the scene, but the, that's the way God wanted me at that time. It's nice to be still here at this time. I'm 77 years old now and enjoying every golden moment at the Wrigley Field and going around the ballpark and see the changes. And, you but know, the one thing, the vines are still and the the blue sky still there, the sun's still there, so that's that's wonderful part about it. You know the voice, and you've definitely heard the infamous free in the national anthem for 27 seconds. Stu and Williams sat down with Cubs anthem phenomenon John Vincent for more than just music talk. John talked with us for over an hour and gave us an inside look at his amazing and unlikely story. Yeah, I want to go back to you for a minute because I, I, if you don't follow John Vincent on Facebook, you need to. Um, but the one thing I really like about you, John, is you are 100% genuine, 100% true, and 100% real. And nowadays, those kind of people are hard to come by. I hope most of the time I am. Sometimes I think, you know, sometimes I think I'm full of and, uh, but everybody, I'm going to tell you, be honest, everybody is out there is trying to put this perfect image out there, but no one's perfect. We all have our flaws, you know, and you're, you're not afraid to admit your flaws. And no, I think when you admit I, your I, flaws, I, I admit that I'm up. When, oh, yeah. when you admit that to people, though, it, you do something to the people like you. I mean, when you say something, I want to hear it because there's so many people just trying to look good in this world and trying to. And but but you you're you're about you're about the people and there's a lot of people experiencing what you're experiencing, but just don't say it. Uh, I want to be honest with you. You are you know I know there's a lot of people that look up to you, and and what you're don't ever change. Just keep on being you, John, because. You're, you're, you're making a difference to people, and I'll tell you one thing. One of the reasons why I want to have, have you on, you're such a positive part of the Cubs community as a whole. Mm-hmm. It's a blessing that they gave you a ring. It's a blessing you're part of organization. And you know what? You're just one of those guys. You know, We've had you out here a couple times. He's came out here for free. He didn't charge us a, charge us a dollar. But just being around you, John, you know, you make me happy. He's that type of guy that radiates like love. He's like a big teddy bear. That's what John is, you know? I actually feel that when I go on YouTube and look up videos and listen to you sing wherever you are. My favorite one was you were on a on the boat on the oh, Chicago. Oh, that was River. awesome! <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's singing Chicago. That was, that was, so that was great. beautiful. That I mean, was I was like getting chills and all like worked up like I was on the boat. Thank I was you. in that my was, bed. Yeah, that was a boat that Dean Martin actually had. It wasn't the same one. People got confused and were like, "Oh, that was Dean Martin's boat." I said, "No, it, it was a boat that Dean Martin had the same kind. It was called a." crisscross and you could tell when you walked in that boat the downstairs was all retro so cool and he had the same type of boat 
And what I did, a guy who got married um, at, I want to say, River Rose said, Johnny, we want to have an engagement party. I want to surprise the people by having you come up by boat and sing. Well, before it was time, I had a little bit of time. And I said to the captain, can we go up and down and test the sound system? So I had my friend on there, and she was with me. And, and she's filming me while I'm singing my kind of town. And then she just put it like, hey, let's put this on Facebook. And, and then it got a nice reaction. How many people were watching along the river there? Yeah, it was it was fun. You know, I uh, you know, don't get me wrong. You guys say all these great things. I I I want to the one thing you were talking about now we're going to bullying. You were bullied, I was bullied. Um, you know, I I have I have uh thought of suicide. I have actually was right there at the edge of suicide. Um, and I struggle with depression. I've been in a really good place for a really long time now. I've been in a very very good place. Um, I've come to peace with a lot of things in my life, but I still struggle tremendously on certain days. And I know when those days come, I have to ask God for the strength. And I just need sometimes I need to just kind of shut it down and, and kind of, you know, I, I'll ask a coach Ditka or a Joe Madden, you know, hey, what do you guys think? Because I, 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 I have such faith in them. And, uh, you know, it's almost polar opposites, but it's the same. You know, Joe Madden is very, 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 uh, meditative and this and that and everything else. And Coach Ditka is very boom, you know, just fight through it, kind of like that Rocky when he's in Rocky yeah. Balboa. It's like, you know, life, you got to hit it harder. You got to come. It's going to knock you down. And there's just so much positive on both sides of that. The resiliency of both of those guys are amazing, you know. And I read this book called The Power of Now, and it tells you how to live in the moment. Do I live in the moment? I think I want to say Hopefully over half of the time I do, but there are a lot of times I don't. There are a lot of times I struggle. There are a lot of times I'm, I'm crabby. I'm, I'm, I'm not the best person to hang around with, and I'm not easy. And uh, I have to know that, and I have to be more honest with myself because sometimes I'll get caught up and I'll lie to myself. I'll be like, oh, yeah, you're doing great and this and that. And next thing you know, you're like, wait, don't get too full of yourself here because you know what? You're not that special. We all are special. Together, each and every one of us are nothing, but together we're everything. And I struggle following that line. I do. I struggle because if I truly want to follow that path, it's really hard. But I, but I also then give myself a break and go, Johnny, you're human. I haven't found a perfect person on, on earth. The only perfect person was Christ. Mm. So, you know, I'm human. I know I'm human. And I know that I'm going to make mistakes. And now I try to be more judgmental of myself. Now, when I find myself gossiping or doing things and saying stuff, I think pretty hard. I'm like, Johnny, why are you doing this? What are you doing? Come on, man. Just no, stop judging. Judge yourself, but judge yourself in a positive way. Yeah, I think so that. When you say I do these things about giving the ring, letting people try it, doing, you know, stuff, doing events, I do that because I have to, keep myself in line because if i don't it'll be very easy to become you know self-absorbed or um especially with ocd you have your own world and and, and, and like that movie as good as it gets with jack nicholson the first time i saw it i'm like they got it totally wrong the second time i watched it i'm like oh my god it's so right because he's so self-absorbed to himself he sometimes overlooks other people's issues and problems and you know sometimes i'll do that with my girlfriend and she'll know uh, and she's great with it because she's very very, very, you know, uh, understanding. And I'll be like, okay, I'm having my moment. She's like, okay, do your thing. What, 
my thing is go throw my headphones on and go watch Always Sunny in Philadelphia on the iPad. <laughs> I watched it constantly, and right. Danny DeVito is like just kills me on that show. I just laugh and I love it, and you know I'll do that, or I'll you know, like Joe says, meditate or you know exercise or things like that. The Randy Hundley Fantasy Camp gives fans of all walks of life a chance to take the field like a big leaguer. Stu, William, and a few other Club 400 friends sit down to talk baseball and their experiences from this amazing event. Take a listen. So yeah, guys, we're talking 10 games in five five days, seven inning games. So you're playing 14 innings a day. And the rosters are small, so you're playing. You are playing. You're not sitting on the bench. Randy wants you to go there and play. And another thing I thought, I will back up for a second. When you go to this camp, you fill out a lot of paperwork. They ask you what your favorite position is, your second, third, fourth. So they try to, they try to put a team together. So they actually do their homework. They actually care, and they try to do the best job they possibly can do by putting this together. And then you got to get uh, physically released from your doctor to do it. And then uh, the coolest thing is they actually take real measurements for your uniform, like measurements. This is not small, medium, large. They're actually taking measurements. And I'll tell you one thing, and Eric knows it as good as anybody. When we walked in and we saw, and you too, Eric, uh, when you walked in and you see your uniform in the locker and you put it on and it's, it fits you like, I was like worried that my uniform wasn't going to fit, you know, but uh, it, it was unbelievable. It was, um, and you put it on, me and Eric were so mad because we were the away team for like three days in a row and we just wanted to put the home, home ones on, you know, but uh, I'll tell you what, man, um, it's a wonderful experience. You, you better be in shape, but I got to go back to uh, recently, me, Eric, and Eric, McVicker and Hartman. We'll call him Hartman and McVicker. So we went to Randy. Uh, we went to actually Kyle Schwarber's golf tournament, you know, down in Florida for, uh, you know, Kyle Schwarber had a great event out there and we golfed 18. And uh, so Eric tells me, hey, man, I really want to go to fantasy camp. And I said, hey, I'll call it in for you. So I call Lori and he, she's like, oh, there's, the, there's a waiting list. There's, uh, it doesn't look good for him, you know. So Eric, Go ahead. What happened? You saw him at the bar at Kyle Schwarber's golf tournament. and Yeah, so at the, uh, at the golf outing, at the end of the golf outing, so I, one of my good friends, Tim Schmack, he, he was irritated. He's like, I'm, I'm going back to the, the hotel. You know, everyone was going out that night. I'm like, Sergeant and Bobby or Denier are, are in the bar. I'm going to go hang out with those guys. I don't, I don't want to hang out with you guys. I want to hang out with them, you know. <clears throat> so I went in, bought him a couple drinks, and uh, as it turned out, you know, Sarge goes, I like you. You're in. He's like, he, Bobby played the, my phone didn't work. And, yeah, right. right. Uh, and Sarge, Sarge gets on the phone and goes, hey, Lori, put him on, put him on uh, Bobby's and my team. We'll take him. So, uh, so Sarge, I told him I was like number five on the waiting list. So rumor has it when I got down there this, this week, this last week, Sarge came up to me and goes, you owe me, buddy. He goes, you were number 35 on the waiting list. <laughs> so, uh, so Mike, you'll appreciate that. That's pretty cool, huh? He, uh, a couple, a couple well, drinks with him, and next thing you know, uh, he's going to fantasy camp, and your parents got to be there. So, yeah, let's talk, let's talk to you, Eric, for a second. And, Eric, we'll get to you in your you know, moment of glory in a little bit. But, uh, Eric, you signed up for camp this year. You really did, did it not, you know, a, about a month and a half before camp started. Uh, you walk into camp. Tell us about your experience at camp. So, first of all, you know, I'll start off, and like Mike, Mike touched on it, the, the friends that you make there are, you know, I can relate it to when I was in the Air Force during Desert Storm. You know, you get to be really good friends with people quick. Um, definitely being 
with this group of guys and, you know, all having that in common, baseball Cubs being that, uh, you know, tight for playing together. You know, I think, like you said, how many innings we played. Uh, good, good friends. You know, I mean, we've been uh, one of the guys on our team. You know, he's already we're going out for a beer next week. And, um, you know, there was an email going around. So it's been a, a lot of really good friendships made there. Um, it, it was mesmerizing. You know, I mean, I didn't know what to expect. I had a little bit, you know, insight from the McVicker guys. But I walked in and it's, you know, as much as you mentally can prepare. And I've done some cool things. And I, you know, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not in, you know, I don't impress easily. I was impressed, yeah. you know, walking in there, see your, you know, your uniform hanging up there, number nine. And who, tell us who was on each side of you, which is yeah. pretty cool. And, and Leon Durham uh, to my right, and I had Jody Davis right in front of me. <laughs> nice. And uh, I'm like, wow, you know, back in 87, Bobby Deneer's my coach, you know, DeSarge. I'm like, this is like heaven, you know. I mean, and uh, it was just, it was, it was the coolest thing I've ever done. One of the coolest things I've ever done. And, and it was, uh, I'm still sore, but it was worth every bit of it. I'm. I'm definitely addicted and going back. And tell tell the listeners about like I mean you're you're in pretty good shape, way better than me and better than Eric, my brother McVicker over there. But uh, you know you you went in there pretty confident, like this was not going to be you know, a big deal. And right. Tell us about how you felt. Yeah. Midweek, I, you know. <laughs> so so the one thing they all everybody has in common is that you know we'll never ever be pros or you know major leaguers. I mean it's it, there's such a disparity between you know I'm like I'm going to kill it out there. I was, and once I you know, same experience that Mike had on the phone. You know, I mean, I had, you know, slider come in. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, I, I was hitting through Wednesday, like 922. And I didn't have a great Thursday. And, you know, Saturday, three strikes and I was, you know, done. You know, I'm pretty I'm, I'm pretty positive Bobby told uh, <laughs> told him to humble me a little bit. Uh. But, uh, you know, it, it was it was really cool. I, I mean, the, the thing that was, you know, most exciting, our team had, you know, a couple injuries. Um, two guys, one guy fell on his back, one guy slipped in the shower. So, uh, you know, we were playing with three outfielders. So there was a whole lot of running, a whole lot of diving, um, you know, and, and Bobby's like, you can't play that hard. He, I, the very first game, I, you know, cause you're diving everywhere. Oh, right? yeah. 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 Three outfielders. You yeah. normally play. Right, so right. you do play with four outfielders. That like is softball, a, you know, but, um, this for two games, we had three, you know, three outfielders was rough. And that, that really wore me down for Wednesday and I'm still hurting for certain. There are formal interviews, and then there are off-the-cuff, edge-of-your-seat, what-are-they-going-to-say-next interviews. A Q&A featuring Randy Hundley, Ray Burris, and <clears throat> Joe Pepitone is a recipe for who knows what. So we flip the mics on and let them go. Here's what happened. He said, now, I'm going to call a clubhouse meeting right after BP, and I want you to go and tell Pepe to just sit there and keep his mouth shut. I walk around this blooming clubhouse, all that I know about the clubhouse, Peppy, Peppy, where are you? Peppy, and all of a sudden I hear this roar come up from the upstairs <laughs> potty. I found a room that nobody ever knew about. Nobody ever was up in this area. And Peppy's back there, <coughs> <laughs> I was getting high. It was. I was smoking a joint, and all of a sudden, I hear, Pippi, what the hell is that smell? And I said, Wait, you I got to... Tra- Come in here, Randy, and try this. <laughs> what the hell is that, you blooming idiot? 
I've got to stand outside this blooming door, and I don't know what I'm smelling. I don't know what the crap is going on. And all of a sudden, I see this big puff of smoke go up, and I said, oh, crap. I said, now, I tell him about Leo's going to call a meeting, and you just sit there and keep your mouth shut. You tell Leo, I said, to go. Yeah, I can't say those words. So now, here comes the meeting. Leo's ripping everybody in the clubhouse. <laughs> and finally, as Leo always would do, he would say, now, does anybody have anything to say? And I look down at Pepe, <laughs> and here he goes. He's standing up. <laughs> well, Leo, Ralph Houck never treated his players like you're treating us. I'm thinking, holy cow. <laughs> that blooming pot is talking now. <laughs> I said, I said, listen, Ralph knew how to guy, pat the guys at the ass, and the guys you had to kick at the ass. And Leo just looked at me and he says, God damn you, you're a bum, you're nothing, you have I got you here, I don't know what this is like that. I says, Jesus Christ, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'd already warned him to just sit there and keep his mouth shut. I could not. Then, then Mill Papa stands up and says something, didn't make any sense. <laughs> And then, and then Leo turns like he's standing here, and he turns just a little ways, and there sits Sano, and he says, and, well, how about you, Ron Sano? You just negotiated to have a Ron Sano day, which was coming up two weeks oh, later. In front of everybody. We, in front of all the players that we are. What are you talking about, Leo? We <laughs> couldn't believe it. He went nuts. <clears throat> Sano jumps up, and he's going to charge after Leo. <laughs> Ernie, Billy Williams, and Beck grab Sano to hold him back because he would have killed Leo. He said, it's the, it, Leo says, hang on a minute. He gets over here on the phone, and he calls John Holland. He says, John, come down here in the clubhouse. About five minutes later, he comes down. He said, now, John... Didn't Sano negotiate a Ryan Sano day? We're all looking at one another and saying, what the crap? And I didn't start all of that. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> John Holland's adjusting his tie, and he's... <clears throat> Leo says, John, did he say that? He said, well, uh, Leo, yes, he did. He asked for a Ryan Sano day. I'm telling you what, we all but fell out of our seats when we heard that. It was the all-time big league meeting in a clubhouse by one team. I'll guarantee you, no other team had a meeting like this. It all started because a Randy Huntley came into the place where I was smoking a joint. <laughs> <laughs> And it all went right from there. It started with Ron Sano and all that <laughs> I didn't play for about two weeks. She benched me, that son of a gun. <laughs> Randy Huntley started that I'm telling you, Pepe, you are, you are the world's best. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I know you do. Yeah, but see, the thing you tell on, more lies than you can hold even... Hold on, hold on. Ray wants to say something. But see, the thing about it, when he... When we, say when he say came, what you got to say. I am going to say it if you stop poking me. <laughs> <laughs> I could when hit Pepe, this guy. When Pepe came to the Cubs, you remember earlier he was talking about it was the greatest thing that ever happened to him. 
Peppy wore a toupee. Hairpiece. Hairpiece. A wig. A wig. There are 50 people here don't know that. Fake hair. He would, now, what, we, to make a, can I tell the story? I was trying to make that broad Can I tell the story? Can I tell the story? I told you, you can't put a hand Can I tell the story? It's a wonder. Leo should have put his no. fist. Anyway. <laughs> Give me my check. I want to go. <laughs> Where's the bartender? Bring me up. Anyway, he would take a roll of toilet tissue. Oh, and put his toupee, fake oh, hair, wig in his locker on a freaking roll of Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on one second. Oh, he done forgot Hold that. Hold on a second. Oh, hey, that's no, amazing. No, the older no, you no, get, your no, memory gets no, short. No, no, So we would take... No, I went to the guys that had no hair, like Kim, <laughs> and put it on him to hold and pit it once in a while. <laughs> what kind of is that? I'm trying to make some of these broads. Why are you doing this? <laughs> are you done? Happy, I'm telling you what, you hit me one more time and I'm going to be like Mike Tyson on your jaw. Anyway. It'd be a that if this 78-year-old man just whipped his out of him, you know what I mean? Getting autographs is an art form only mastered by the most dedicated baseball fans. You got to know how to interact with each player, what memorabilia you need signed, and so on. Stu and Williams spoke with one of the best autograph retrievers in baseball. Dave Truitt. How, uh, let's talk about Chris Bryant's autograph, the, uh, probably the most sought-after uh, sought autograph on the team. As you know, tell us a little bit about his Fanatics autograph and his personal, uh, when, when you catch him at the ballpark autograph. They're different, right, Dave? Uh, it, it depends, guys. Um, Chris, Chris has kind of gone up and down a little bit. Um, you know, when Chris first got drafted by the Cubs, he was assigned... Uh, he played, you know, a little bit in the minor leagues, which obviously everybody's aware of. Um, he came out to the Arizona Fall League, and at the Arizona Fall League, oh my God, guys, he was tremendous. He would sign every single day, and he would make sure that he got everybody, you know, just the nicest guy. And Chris is genuinely just a nice guy, period. You know, he's gotten a little bit stricter about where he signs and when he signs. Now he kind of limits it to more of the ballpark now that he's married. You know, if you get him out and about, he'll say hi, he'll shake your hand, he'll take a selfie with you, but he's not going to sign outside of the ballpark, inside the park. Um, and I think that a lot of that might be to do with this fanatics deal as well. But, you know, he's a very accommodating guy. And his autograph has always been K-B-Y-T, and then usually his number, right? Um, depending on the, the situation of which you catch him, if there's a lot of people and he's in a hurry, you might get KB. You might get KB in a smiley face if he knows he's gotten you before. That's one of Chris's little tricks that a lot of people aren't aware of. Yeah, what, what, what is you. with that? What is with the smiley face thing? So the smiley face thing, and I, and I personally, I've caught Chris one-on-one before, and I asked him about this, and he has flat out told me this to my face. So this is a real story, guys. This is breaking news for the autographers out there. All right. If Chris Bryant gives you a smiley face, that's because Chris Bryant recognizes you. He knows he's got you before. Chris is never going to be the guy to tell you no unless he thinks you are an autograph dealer. But if he knows you're a fan and he's got you before, you will get KB. Sometimes you'll get the KBYT, the full autograph, but he will put a smiley face on it. 
And that's just his way of letting you know that he knows who you are. See, um, Dave, talk, Dave's teaching cool. me stuff today. You're teaching me stuff today. I never knew that. And you see a lot of smiley faces out there in the market. Yep. Yep. So that's what that is. I mean, that's people that have gotten Chris multiple times. Um, you know, last year he signed for the most part, you got a full draft. Now understand when you go to Sloan Park, it's, it's a madhouse guys. And for the fans out there, if you put your little kids up in the front and you want them to get a Chris Bryant, be a smart parent, stand behind your child. Do not let people get in between your kid and that wall. Because when Chris Bryant comes over and signs, your kids will get crushed if you are not standing behind them. That is a very realistic reality of this hobby. People go absolutely nuts when Chris Bryant or Rizzo start to sign autographs, especially with the recent success of the Cubs. But at Sloan, you know, with the Chris, if you got a really nice item, Stu, you might get the full nice KBYT like you would get from a sit-down Fanatics autograph signing. Other times you might get a KBT it's usually a little bit more of a rust autograph, but for the most part, Chris does stay pretty consistent and try to give you a decent autograph out of it. There's not too much to do with really contract disputes or, you know, fanatics telling him don't sign things, anything like that. I mean, he's pretty accommodating. Best autograph on the Cubs. Yeah. Are you going to go there? Well, yeah, best all time and well, best current. Yeah, let's go best all time. We can go back to, you know, to the older players and best current Cub. Oh, I mean, best all-time, guys, without a doubt, is the Hawk. Yeah! <laughs> Dave, you're speaking my uh, language today, dude. <laughs> Andre Dawson has just every single letter. Now, I do, I do want to interject with this, though. And if you guys ever get Andre on the podcast, if he's ever at Club 400, I need you oh, to he's, ask He's been here. He's been me. here, but he'll be back. We're going to get him back. Next time you get him back, Stu, you got to ask him the question. How the hell does that first name say Andre? Because I swear to God, every time I look at it, it says Clyde Dawson. <laughs> You're exactly right. There's a, it looks like there's a, <laughs> I don't know what the third letter there, but it looks like a J or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when we, uh, when uh, we uh, had Andre Dawson out here, the autograph signing took so long because, if first of all, he turns the item a different way to sign it like he doesn't sign it like straight like most players do across he he turns the yeah, he item. signs it like an angle yeah he signs it at an angle and he takes his time so the autograph line took forever when dawson was here but you gotta uh, everybody gets a quality awesome autograph from dawson especially if you get him to put like the hawk on it i mean I, honestly in the baseball world i don't know if anybody in the last 15 years with the exception of you know, maybe a guy like a Derek Jeter has a really cool autograph. Um, and not a lot of players, just their autographs look like that. And, you know, I know somebody in the background was talking about Stan Musial. Stan Musial is another guy that every letter, perfect. Mickey Mantle, Frank Robinson. who just Ron Santo. Ron Santo's perfect autograph right there. I mean, you know, yeah. you want to talk about, um, and I, I, I want to jump off topic because you mentioned Ron Santo here. I met Ron Santo Jr. at the Cubs fantasy camp two years ago, Stu. Not only seeing him in a Cubs uniform with the number 10 on his back, not only does he look like his dad right out of a 1970s baseball card. I mean, just pure spitting image twin of his father. But I asked him to sign a baseball to put next to his dad. His autograph is even the exact same wow. to the T. Every penmanship stroke is the same as his father's. The really? only difference is he huh. puts a junior on it. 
Wow. If you put the two baseballs next to each other and you ask somebody to tell you which one was Ron Santo and which one was Ron Santo Jr., if the ball from Junior does not have Junior on it, I promise you, you will not be able to tell the difference. The facade and aesthetic of Wrigley is unmatched. From the iconic center field scoreboard to the marquee that welcomes fans into the confines, the features are endless. But before you enter the ballpark, you get to see some of the finest Cubs faces the world has ever seen encapsulated in worthy metal and crafted by none other than Lucella and John Iwanski. These two craftsmen are the brains and brawn behind the statues that grace the Wrigley grounds, and they give a tell-all on their story and discuss future projects in the works. I was, I, I, the Cubs did have me work with Billy himself, though, on this, who, uh, I, if you've ever met him, there's as pleasant a person as you're going to find. And um, he invited me to his home and uh, uh, showed me his, his, uh, his own personal man cave of, of, of built memorabilia. And it's, 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 it, was, it was a lot of fun. And he had the craziest thing that he let me take to use for reference. It was a plaster casting of his face. And, <laughs> and, 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 and I had like, what, what in the world is this? And he, he said... Uh, he said in 1969, Dunkin' Donuts uh, did a giveaway where they did these these plastic vacuum forms of our faces that they would give away. And I said, "Well, the only way they could do this is to make a mold of your face," and that's what they did. They, they, he said they put them straws up my nose and and uh, they had. Uh, they had that plaster all over me, and they did it right in the clubhouse there at Wrigley Field. And, and, uh, and I, said, I said, I have seen one of these of, of Ron Sando. I said, that's what that was? That's, that it was Dunkin' Donuts? And they said, yeah, Dunkin' Donuts, Mr. Donut, one of them things. And, uh, and, uh, and, and I said, but it, was, it was Billy's face. And, I, and, I, and I, he said, you can, take it, you can take it along with you uh, if, it, if it'll help. And I said, hell yeah, it'll help. It, it'll help a lot. Can you imagine uh, them going up to Chris Bryant? We're going to blast your face. <laughs> right in the clubhouse. <laughs> right in the clubhouse. Straws up his nose. <laughs> yep. KB. Sit tight, KB. And he said, and, he said, he said, and, and I said, well, I'll, I'll be sure to take care of it. And he said, oh, I don't want to worry about that too much. It's always scaring the grandkids <laughs> whenever they come over here. And, so I, I, he was telling some great stories. Ron Sano had not yet been inducted in the Hall of Fame, and he was just talking about how how he just didn't understand it. He, he, how, what a great, it's great. I, I'm in his home. He doesn't have to entertain me. But you get him talking about baseball, and and there he was. And he started. He said, "You know, I was. He said, I was down there in 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 left field, and that was. I couldn't tell you how many times some line drive got hit, and I'm I'm just springing to to go after it." And the ball never get to me because Ron Sano caught it. I can't even believe it. He said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm thinking I can't get to it. He said, but the ball didn't get past Ronnie. He said, just amazing. And, and, uh, and he said, he belongs in the hall of fame. So that, that, you know, and I was telling you earlier when I was a kid, that was my favorite player. So I'm sitting there talking, talking Cubs history. Uh, That's kind of your baby. I mean, a little, a little bit. And we talk about John's baby next. I mean, that's kind of like, Met the, because of the player behind it, and 
the experiences that you had, it's you know unbelievable. A little trivia on that uniform. I told you how they're all always uh, different. With with Billy, I think we bent the rules a little. I uh, because uh, I think he won the batting title in '72, and uh, and so that was the uniform we were given him, and that was maybe the first year that they went to double knits. They were no longer using uh, uh, the the baggier, looser fitting uh, flannel. And um, uh, so, and there, there, were, there were little adjustments in that, but it was a pullover jersey with a V-neck. However, uh, if, uh, he, he said he swore he had the mustache that year, and we couldn't find any photos of him where he had the mustache that year, but he wanted a mustache on that sculpture, which was fine. He, I always liked the mustache. So, uh, so, we, so there was a little, a little variance in there. And one little tidbit about the uniforms when we talk about the detail. Uh, Betting helmets now all have a dimensional uh, logo on them, and that's relatively new. For years and years and years, decades, the Cubs were the only team to have a dimensional logo on the helmet. It was it, because when they were first made, they were fiberglass helmets with a flocked finish, which is a, a, like a fuzz that, that it paints on wet, it dries, and it creates a, the impression of a hat. And, and they all had felt logos. Well, the Cubs had a felt white C, and the red part was that thatch material you would see on a high school letterman's jacket. Eventually, it became red embroidery. Well, eventually, the flocking went away, and the fiberglass went away, and they just became the, you know, these uh, molded hard plastic helmets. But what the Cubs always did, and you can see this if you look closely in old photos, they painted the uniform number inside of the seat. So if you look okay. at a picture of one of these guys, uh, of Don Kessinger, for example, you'll see a little number 11 in there or, or Randy Huntley and a little number nine. Mm. Uh, and, and so when you look at that sculpture, if you can find a way to get close enough, there's a, I carved in a little 26 wow. that's uh, inside yeah, that, of the... That's the stuff. It's interesting. That's all. Inside of that sea. Our encounters with Cubs players have been nothing short of a dream come true. Sometimes we got more than we bargained for. A couple players were not afraid to boast their singing abilities, the first being the only Cubs player to sing the national anthem for a game he was playing in. Here is Dwight Smith honoring our country with his rendition of the national anthem. I'm going to give the microphone to the one and only Dwight Smith. All right, let me tell you. There's a drive in the left field, and Mark Grace is camped under it. Damn, Harry, you must be drunk real early. God bless you. Well, we're going to do the anthem, and first of all, Jerome and I would like to thank you all for having us here, and let's go have a blast. And um, when we come into town, we like to be a lot different than anything else, so that's why anybody come here and did the anthem, so we're going we gonna to do a little something-something. How about that? Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hail at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming 
and the rock is red glare the bombs bursting in the air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there oh say does that star spangle banner yet wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave that's for you soup we gotta do all right we're gonna do some shots now the final feature of this special edition of Club 400 Podcast is our friend Ben Zobrist. Zoe took the mic and led the Club 400 crowd in a pastime as old as the game itself, the seventh inning stretch. Here is Ben Zobrist conducting Take Me Out to the Ball Game. We got to do Take Me Out to the Ball Game, all right? Where's Ben at? Ben, you're the, you're the man. Can you lead us and Take Me Out to the Ball Game? Sure, let's do this. Ready? Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks. I don't care if I ever get back for its root. Root, root for the cubbies. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. We hope you enjoyed this montage of our favorite moments this Club 400 season. The Club 400 podcast is available on Podbean, iTunes, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. We didn't have time to feature all of our amazing guests, so be sure to check out the rest of the episodes. Also, check out the official Club 400 website at club400cubs.com for information on Stu's Man Cave, as well as past and upcoming events. We end this episode as we have several others. Our very own chairman of the board, John Vincent, serenading us with a Sinatra favorite. Chicago, my kind of town. Thanks for listening, and go Cubs! Now this... Could only happen to a guy like me And only happen in a town like this So may I say to each of you most gratefully As I throw each one of you a kiss is my kind of town, Chicago is. My kind of town, Chicago is. My kind of people too. People who smile at you and each time I roam Chicago is calling me home Chicago is why I just grin like a clown it's 
my kind of town. Chicago. 